Hey, there we are. Hi, everyone. It is the 16th of February, 2023. My name is Luke Thomas. This is episode one, shit, 148. I think 148. Uh, Yes, 148 of the live chat. How are you doing? I am doing quite well. I'm happy to be here. Um, you guys know the drill. I put up a thread on youtube.com slash Luke Thomas on the community tab there ahead of time. You guys fill it up and then we react to it here. So thumbs up if you're watching. Subscribe if you're new. Um, I doubt many of you are, but to the extent that you are, there's a great place to get some good MMA content. And uh, yeah, I appreciate it. All right, let's get this party started, shall we? All right, we are back. Um, yeah. So here we are. I uh, hope you're doing well. Uh, we can talk about whatever you want. UFC 284. Um, let's see. What else? UFC Vegas 69, which is the one coming up. IV stuff, whatever's on your mind. We can get to all of it. So uh, that's a great place to do it. We'll have a conversation about it now. I'm, I'm just rambling stupidly at this point, but we're, we're doing great. Hmm. We'll go for about an hour, as you guys know, and then if you want to, you're certainly under no obligation, but if you want to put a donation into the, the Super Chat, we'll get to those questions at the end. But if you want to enjoy it for free, you certainly may do that as well. All right, let's bring in the questions. Let's do it this way. Look at this. Just look at this dope right here. Just two idiots. Two unbelievable morons here <laughs> in London, England. Uh we tried to get a shot that showed us in the green room, but it didn't really work that well. But okay, here you go. All right, let's get to it. Good question, I guess. I hadn't thought much about it. Let's see. Excuse me. Do you think if Dominic Reyes had the decision go his way against Jones, he would have gone on the losing streak that he has, assuming he didn't have to rematch and had the same subsequent fights, right? So he had to go fight Jan or whatever. I found this thought experiment interesting, even if the Jones fight is still the same, but the psychological effect of the outcome, depending on the decision, it potentially could have made or broken his career. Or do you believe that it's just as likely he would have lost those fights regardless? Um, this is one of the situations where it's impossible to know. But you asked me, gun to my head, which way I would lean on this one. I would lean that uh, the fights probably would have gone the way that they did. So he still would have been champion. He still would have made that leveling up moment but he would have subsequently lost it the way he, that he did as well right like i don't think that either way i don't i don't i didn't find him beating john well again he didn't beat john i didn't find the performance he turned in um i guess it was a little surprising how well he did but um yeah it was a little surprising what am i saying it was a little it was definitely there was parts of it that were that were very very good but um no i just don't the way in which the like like what would have if he had the same like because you could argue that if he got the title who knows what fights he would have gotten in what order and so that could change things but if you're positing that he would have gotten the exact same order no matter what uh and that you know would have his lights put out in the way that he did by yawn and then everything else that happened after that yeah i i mean i think if yawn fights him again like if yawn fought him to, obviously we're now on the other side of him losing, but if Jan fought him today, like, would you, would you think it'd be any different? I certainly would not. Um, I just, 
the question is not like, did John ruin his career? John didn't put a John put a beating on him in the fifth round, but it wasn't like a five. It wasn't. This was not Rich Franklin versus David Loazzo, which was like this sustained beating round after round. That's not what this was. I thought that Reyes took the first three, and then John the last two, and then emphatically the last one. You could maybe argue a draw, I suppose. Although I don't think it quite matches up to ten eight. But the point I'm trying to make here is like. The reasons that he lost to Jan, John wasn't able to make effective use of them, but that doesn't mean they weren't there. They just made themselves known against Jan. And once he had the fight against Jan, it was kind of all, all the damage. Um, no, I don't think it would have gone much differently. It's just, you know, he would have achieved something pretty spectacular. The first guy to like legitimately beat John Jones. It's a big deal, right? It's a big deal. So, no, but I don't, I don't imagine that it would have altered the course of history if we're positing the same subsequent fights happened. If we're positing he got different ones, then yeah, that, that harder to say, but the same ones, it, it's, a tough, it's a tough sport. You fight tough guys, you're going to lose. Like that's, that's the game. That's the game. All right, Jack De La Maddalena's hype versus Sean Brady's hype. I don't think either of them will get the belt as long as Chemayev or Shavkat Rachmanov are there. But who do you think has a higher ceiling, JDM or Brady? Once again, you're asking a question that's very, very impossible to know. Brady is, at this stage, more proven. And then you might be like, well, he just lost to Bilal Muhammad. Right, he just lost to maybe the number one contender. You know, where is Bilal Muhammad ranked? Let's see. I haven't even kept up with the rankings. Let's see. Where is Bilal Muhammad ranked? Bilal Muhammad is ranked at number four, but Hamzad is sitting at three. We don't know his future in the weight class. Two is Colby. He ain't going to get a title shot. I guess he could, but it's unlikely. And then Kamaru is sitting at one, and Leon's a champ. So we're talking about a guy who, if he's not quite number one contender, he's pretty close to it. Yeah, Sean lost to that guy. Jack De La Maddalena hasn't fought a ranked opponent yet. You know, I mean, he looks amazing. I don't have a single negative thing to say just yet. He looked to be he looks to be the genuine article. And in fact. I feel really excited for Australia's combat sports future, not just because of him, but because like what he represents. He is obviously a very special talent, but he probably won't be the only one in the next year or two coming out of Australia to really start making an impact. Like there's a lot of really, really good fighters coming out of Australia. It's great to see. You know, it's a, uh, it only makes the sport better. Who could be against such a thing? I love seeing it. You know, but um, Jack De La Maddalena hasn't fought anyone on that level, and you could say, oh well, it wasn't the strongest performance in terms of damage, but. Sean Brady already beat Michael Chiesa. Like, yeah, Sean Brady is already much more proven, even with that loss to Bilal Muhammad. Jack De La Maddalena is clearly in need of a step up, right? I mean, let me pull up his record one more time here. Or is he ranked at welterweight? Yeah, he's sitting at 14 now. Great. Love to see that. He's got two wins. They were his first two fights, you know? Um, let me look at his record here. So he's got the first round win over Randy Brown, the first round win over Roberts, the first round win over Emeve, and then the first round win over Rodriguez. Yeah, like it, here's the thing, guys. If and you see this on the regional scene too. If you're if you you'll, you'll see guys in the regional scene they'll be like ready for a UFC call up. They'll have 10 fights and they'll have 10 first round stoppages. And it means the same thing every time. It means that they are obviously very good. It also means they're in desperate need of a leveling up, right? They're they're done with that, and it also means. And I just made this point on uh, what you call it. I was I did um, I did the uh, between the links I think with the show with Mike Heck and Jed Mashu, which was 
you know, what do you do next with Jack De La Maddalena? There's a lot of things you could do. There's some fun fights you can have. But for me, you got to figure out what you got here a little bit. And you just don't know that until they've been audited. And he just hasn't been audited. Not not by the very best guys. He they haven't they haven't they haven't kicked the tires. They haven't really looked under the hood. You know what does it look like? Like for example, certain guys like Cowboy Cerrone have susceptibility to body shots. Is that something to watch out for? What does his cardio look like late? What happens if he has to wrestle for two rounds? You know, there's just any what happens. How good is his defense from the back? How good are his you know what whatever? Like there's any number of questions where someone's gonna put it on him. The higher up he goes. How does he respond accordingly? Like this idea that you're just going to win every fight and they can't touch you like you're Thor, you know, or something like it doesn't it doesn't work that way. Like they will get their hands on you and they will do something once you once you move up high enough. What does that show us about the bigger picture? We just haven't had a really great look. So what he has shown us has been fantastic and it looks like he's got great championship qualities as well in terms of his work ethic and everything else like he looks like he's ready to make a to make a run uh in this division um over time not immediately but certainly over time and uh he's only i think is he 26 26 like he's young man he's really really young so you know who's got the higher upside no one really knows it's just it's just impossible to say but certainly brady is more tested and for that reason, you could say he's further along or however you would like to word it. How would Volk do at against Colby or Usman? Poorly. Poorly. I don't... It's almost like he's got previous experience at 170. Not like that. Not like that. Um, I love Volk, but a Colby or an Usman is a nightmare matchup for maybe anyone that weight and below, and certainly the featherweight champ. I don't like that fight for him even a little. No, thank you. All right, good question. Luke, where does Islam go from here? He just defended his belt against Volk and didn't receive the number one pound-for-pound pound ranking with his win. Currently at 155, there aren't too many contenders available for him to schedule an immediate fight other than Oliveira rematch, Benil, Fiziv, Habiz, Gechi. That's three fucking names, my guy. Let's say the rematch with Volk doesn't happen, which it should not. What do you think is Islam's best, or what do you think his best move would be to reach that number one pound-for-pound pound spot he desires? Do you think he should set aside spawn one seven? No. And try to achieve double champ status? No. Stick it out for 155 at the time being? Yes. With Jones around the corner, it'd be hard not to give him the number one spot if he beats the, if he wins the heavyweight strap. Agreed. With that being said, Islam or even Volk would need monumental wins to claim the number one spot over John. Yeah, I mean, John coming back is such a wild card, right? But everyone's ready to, you know, coronate him as the next best thing. And it's like, I'm going to keep saying it. I don't know it, what he's going to come back and look like. And if he comes back and he's, you're, he's just like the old John, you're like, oh, right, okay. He just took a break. But, you know, the king is back. I, 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 I'm not... Whatever your feelings about John, whatever my feelings about John, I will give him all the accolades if he takes that long a break, jumps up a weight class, and beats Cyril Gaon. Like it's just an enormously impressive thing. But I don't know what I—I I, I really don't get the doom and gloom on Makachev. I just don't get it at all. I got to be honest with you. I don't see it even a little bit. I mean, I see it out there, but like I don't share that opinion whatsoever. I think what he did 
was extremely impressive. And he kind of gassed in the fifth. Um, that's real. He didn't, he didn't put on a perfect performance, but he definitely put on a winning one. The case for that fight between he and Volk, Volk has a very good claim at two, three, and five. But, you know, you can find four rounds for Islam. You can't find four rounds for Volkanovsky. And I'm sorry, in the fourth round, just, just missed me with that bullshit, this nonsense argument. Um, I actually feel like there's a lot of great fights for him. Now, you're right. Immediately, it would be they would have to pull Benil from the Oliveira fight. So in the immediate sense, that's true. There's nothing immediately you could go to. But like that, there are contenders in the pipeline that they could go to. And then again, depending on how things go relatively quickly, um, yes, they that all exists. Like there's no need for an interim title. There's no need for any of that stuff here. There's or I, or I should say, for him to like look beyond the shores of 155. I, I personally believe. I mean that's an enormously exciting division. Any of those fights, Makachev versus Gaethje, Makachev versus Fazeev, Makachev versus Dariush, or Makachev versus Oliveira. I would like to see any and all of those, all of them. And more to the point, like Volk has business at 145. I said this again earlier today. I'll repeat it here. To me, now again, we have to see what happens with John, and that's all a bit of a wild card. But to me, like let's posit a world where Volk didn't claim the number one spot, right? Let's posit that world. In that world, if he was number two and he fights Yair and beats Yair Rodriguez, folks, I got him here to tell you, beating Yair Rodriguez from uh, is as quality a win at featherweight as you can arguably get. I mean, that is a phenomenal, phenomenal win um, to add. And he, you're like, well, what about Max? He already did it three times, right? And then Arnold Allen is down there too. And we'll have to see. But right now, if he beats Yair Rodriguez, to me, if if he was sitting at two, that would be. And if it was like a dominant win, that would be grounds for potentially moving him into one. Again, the John factor makes it all kind of weird. But what does Islam need to do? Stick it out of 155. Folks, this idea that because there was a 10-pound difference in their natural weight class, that Makachev had it, you know, that this was an easy assignment and that he should have done well. He was fighting the number, heading into that contest, he was fighting the number one pound-for-pound fighter on earth whose physicality clearly transcends the 145 pound division like what about that is an easy assignment what about beating Volkanovsky four rounds out of five is easy what about taking his back is easy what about taking him down and then taking his back what about strike out striking him on the feet given what he just did to Max Holloway is not impressive every part of it is impressive in that sense now of course in the larger picture of his overall game you know he had a bit of a crumbling moment in the fifth it wasn't a perfect one but it was an enormously impressive one I'm happy to buy the idea that Volkanovski outperformed in a lot of ways and that if we're measuring whose stock went up more, I'm happy to give Volkanovski a much bigger share of whose went up more. But this idea that like Makachev's stock went down, maybe it did among the public. It, it, certainly I, I, I read the tea leaves like you guys and I can, I can palpably detect that people are upset out there. I didn't think there was anything disreputable. I mean, some good parts and some bad parts, but like hurting his stock with that performance if anything his stock should go up a little bit he took on an a extremely difficult fighter to control to hurt to defeat and did it and did it with a better case i would argue i'm like we're gonna sit here and talk like his like oh he needs to really mix it up to get back into the action dude he's doing great I don't think he needs to do anything other than what he's been doing, quite frankly. I, I just don't buy this. There's this, oh, like his fortunes really turned and the public, they got a great look at who he really was. Yeah, fucking champion. That's who he really is. <laughs> I just don't, I, I, I just don't buy this. I'm sorry, man. I'm not going to, this is not the right show to feed into that. I just don't, 
I just don't agree with any of that reasoning whatsoever. I think, to me, it very much misses the reality of what actually happened. Great fight between two phenomenal competitors. The smaller of the two really uh, showed himself to be a worthy adversary, but came up a little bit short. And the champion had to deal with some adversity late, but showed his class and quality um, and skills uh, uh, up until that point. Like, you're going to tell me this is a performance in which we have to downgrade his skills or his quality? I know some people want to like tie themselves into knots and invent things that didn't happen or really emphasize one thing and not another. I'm sorry. I just a fair reading of this is that both guys come out a little bit higher than at least where they went in. And if you want to have Volk number one pound for pound, it's fine. I don't really I'm not not telling you you have to do that, but you have to downgrade Islam. No, Mm -mm. no, that was an outstanding performance that he turned in against an extremely difficult opponent to look good against even accounting for whatever natural weight differences there may have been. Yeah. I just, I, I'm just not the right guy for that one. Uh, Luke, what did you make of the MMA on point video regarding weight cutting and one's hydration testing? Thought it was a great piece of journalism that we see quite rarely in MMA personally. Yeah. It looks like MMA journalism has largely moved into the YouTube creator space. Candidly, uh, the MMA sites do some, not much. I think some of the better stuff is coming out of folks like that, and I can't tell you it's right on time. The industry is badly needed. And by the way, it shows you that once you look under the actual hood of most problems in MMA, what you find is a lot of worms. It's not difficult to find craziness and everything else in MMA. Um, I thought it was outstanding. Those guys did their homework. They gave me a sneak peek. I knew it was coming. I got a chance to see it a little early. Um, and so you know, I had a chance to digest it, but it was it's great. For folks who missed it, First of all, fix that. Go see the MMA on point video. First of all, number one, let's put that out of the way. Secondly, what they basically show is that, look, there might be there might be a really strong case for one to be trying um, well-intentioned policy, right? They're actually trying to solve a problem. Remember, they had a fighter on their roster in 2015 who died. And he died from extreme weight cutting measures and the complications they're in. And that's tragedy and that's awful. And they they tried to do something about it. Let's move everything up a weight class. Let's have hydration testing. Let's do all these things that help help make sure we never get here again. And I, I really, I understand that. I think you have to have some degree of sympathy for it. But good policy is good policy and bad policy is bad policy. And this is not really great policy at all. Um, there is a question about whether that test even measures hydration at all. Uh, certainly it was never designed for athletes. Um, the test is extremely easy to beat. When I say extremely, I mean extremely easy. Only a, somebody just not even, if, if you're trying to pass it, you should be able to pass it. Um, they had a guy on record who is an academic, who is a BJJ purple belt. He has a master's and a PhD in exercise science or something in a related field. And he admitted on camera to helping many, including big stars in one, use his methods for beating the hydration test in order to do it. And they had a poor Rich Franklin on camera to like answer for it. And he just seemed flummoxed. I mean, this is just quality work. But what it shows you is like, why are there so many misses? Why are so many people not able to get this right? I mean, if you've solved weight cutting, um, what is the evidence for it? And and people don't seem to be clear about what evidence for weight cutting uh, success looks like. But the point being here is um, they've had numerous misses all of a sudden, right? They've been doing this hydration testing system for a while now, but it was only recently that they began to have this like ballooning 
amount missing and it was when they had to make them more accessible to the public there's been this direct correlation between the two and i've seen people argue oh that means that they the system is working if a bunch of people are failing quite the opposite if you're actually trying to measure hydration and a bunch of people can't actually show that whatever they're supposed to show through the test that they're hydrated then the system is actually not working the point is to have these things in place yes to check to make sure everyone's on it but it's actually to create a framework in which behavior can then easily operate within it so it guides you through the process through coherence rather than like we just leave you to these drastic cuts and then we'll call it a day there's supposed to be some kind of behavior that works with the system and so if you're getting a bunch of people running headlong into it it's clearly not shepherding them in the way that it's supposed to be doing it doesn't it doesn't solve that problem moreover it's just not really clear that even with the hydration testing the subsequent efforts at rehydration later on and measuring that they work out all that well either. It's just a mess. It's a mess. And it's almost it's almost entirely a fiction. Um, so what do I think about it? I've been saying I didn't trust it for years. In fact, what I loved about the video is they had some for me on Sirius XM trying to tell people. And it's just a basic question. It's a basic question you can ask about one on this issue or any other promoter on any other issue. Namely, how do you know? oh, one has this new system of weight cutting, uh, measuring it that reduces overall, you know, cutting and blah, 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 blah. Right. How do you know? How do you know? And we didn't have any evidence that that was true. And sure enough, MMA on point looks under the hood and they find out people are cutting weight like crazy. They're just disguising it the whole way through. Like it doesn't, doesn't do a goddamn thing that it says it's supposed to do. At least not among the vast majority of the people trying to, to get around it, to say nothing of the people who are getting tripped up along the way that I just mentioned. Where is the evidence? It's the same thing I say about USADA, and everyone just blows it off because they've got 80 billion years of Nancy Reagan's you know war on drugs in their brains, and they just can't through. What is the evidence that USADA has introduced to the public record that demonstrates their inclusion in an anti-doping program with the Ultimate Fighting Championship meaningfully reduces risk for fighters. What is the evidence that they have collected and shown to you about that? Not what you think you see, not what your friends tell you, not what the promoter tells you, not what any even fighter testifies to. What is the actual evidence? When you have to present the case, where is it? It doesn't exist. Now, that doesn't mean to say that in the case of anything where you don't have immediate evidence, that doesn't mean that's actually not working, right? That's not the claim that we're making. We're not claiming that because you don't have evidence, therefore it's false, at least in the case of USADA. What we're saying is you want me to believe something, you have to prove it or at least try to prove it first. The onus is on you or the institution to prove it. And if you never introduce evidence for your claims, your claims are nothing. They are nothing. There's there's literally nothing backing them. So whether, pick your issue with any, oh, take my word for it, they get paid. How do you know? How do you know? How do you know that one has a system of weight cutting that meaningfully reduces fighters draining themselves? How do you know? How do you actually know? What do you actually know in terms of real data that tells you that? Same with anti-doping, same with anything else. And once you begin to ask those questions, you begin to realize people in many, many cases haven't thought this through, don't have any answer at all. There's fucking no evidence for it 
no matter what. And you might be thinking, well, issues can be big enough where um, that won't necessarily happen. Um, I, I, I'll move on from this one because, you know, people don't like it when I talk about USADA all that much anymore. But uh, it's it's really just a basic question. Next time anyone in MMA makes a claim about anything, ask them how they know. How do you know? What is the evidence for it? And if they don't ever introduce any evidence for it, you are under no obligation to take it seriously. You are under no obligation to believe it. You are under no obligation to honor it as um, performatively true or... Um, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll accept a yes for now and then we'll check late. No, no, it is nothing until you substantiate it. So, you know, everyone will have claims like, and they'll say things like, well, what about for, for the USADA one? What about TRT Vitor? Right. What about that? Okay. Well, what about TRT Vitor? How many injuries did he cause? Right. So then TRT Vitor goes away. USADA comes in. So is your argument, we're talking about one person in a handful of fights, really only been one fight because they just bring up the Michael Bisping fight causing damage that is not even as bad as what Michael Venom Page did to Cyborg Santos. So we're talking about reducing the overall level. We're talking about reducing risk, right? Which can mean a lot of different things. Show me the evidence that risk is reduced. Show it to me. Show it to me that, uh, by the way, this is, this is a dangerous sport where they're not hitting baseballs out of the park. They're hitting each other. We need the sport to be as safe as possible. Show me the evidence. Show it to me. That, that they have meaningfully made MMA safer. Show that to me. I really, oh, I would love to see it because it, I, I, not only does it not exist, I guarantee you it will never exist. They can't. They can't. They can't actually do that because it's not a real claim. It's not, it's, the, it's just bullshit. It's just total propaganda. They might be able to make some other claims about hydration. They might be able to make some other claims about the testing data, which only they know. But in terms of like the the claims about oh we got to make it safer, show it to me. <clears throat> All right. How far do you think GSP would have gotten if he would have started it? Oops, what the fuck. If he had started karate, and, oh, if he started MMA. Excuse me, one more time. I'm messing this up. Let me put this up. I'm out of my mind. How far do you think GSP would have gotten in wrestling if he would have started with it as a primary sport instead of karate or kickboxing? Do you think it would have impacted his career? I mean, it's very, very. I, I, I don't, I don't know. I mean, he, he, listen, he, George St. Pierre is a A level athlete and a phenomenally smart athlete as well in terms of understanding his body and understanding the game and understanding all the things he needs to do he would have done well in wrestling but like you know would he be would he be had made an olympic team i i doubt that um although it's certainly possible you know one never knows but his wrestling was very mma accommodated there's nothing wrong with that it doesn't need to be anything else but that and he could hold his own here or there obviously but um probably could have he was good he would have do well in virtually any sport right he would do well in virtually any sport but the reality of his mma wrestling is that it was it was very it was just that it was very specific to the job demands and i don't think you should you should try not to read too much into that how would a fight between Yair rodriguez and Ilya taporia go 
People keep asking about Taporian. I said this on last week's broadcast. I've got a, uh, I've got a, a big breakdown on him. I'm working on. Um, Taporia, I think, needs a little bit more seasoning. Yair has had his ups and he's had his downs, but he's a little bit further in his development process. Yair, excuse me, um, Ilya's not quite there yet. He's got great offense and good defense. He doesn't have great defense, and uh, I think until he does. Uh, who's his next fight? Have they announced it yet? I don't think that they have. Um, we need we need to. We, he already beat Bryce Mitchell, so it's not exactly a slow roll. But I, you know, title implications. There's two, three more fights in front of him. I think before we get to that, it, 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 three or four maybe. Okay, good question. All right, hey Luke. After UFC 284, you say that you still believe Volkanovski is the more skilled, talented fighter. I just wanted your explanation on that because I don't see how someone can say that when Islam won the grappling exchanges by a wide margin. I don't know if he won them by a fully wide margin. Certain cases he did. And very surprisingly also won the striking exchanges or at the very least was very even with Volk in the striking. First of all, let's be very clear. He outstruck Volk. He outstruck him in this particular contest. That's the first thing I'd say. Second thing is, I don't know if I said he beat him by... There were certain rounds he beat him by a wide margin. First round and fourth round in the grappling. But in general... Didn't we talk about this? Volkanovsky stopped five of nine takedowns. Only four got through. So he stopped more than he succumbed to. Was the first thing I'd say. So like there was, I mean, that's the story of the fight, right? Is that Islam was way better on the feet than most of us anticipated. And then you could say, depending on your perspective, maybe you knew Islam was going to do that. Maybe you knew Volkanovsky was going to do that. But I think a lot of people feel like Islam outperformed on the feet and Volkanovsky outperformed in the grappling department. Um, So, you know, a wide margin on the grappling, I'm not so sure. Certain rounds, certain moments, there was great control. I think the reason I think I'd say he's more talented is because, um, one, and this is maybe the biggest one, who would you favor in an... I don't think they need to do an immediate rematch, but who would you favor in an immediate rematch? You might still favor Islam, but certainly I think the case for Volkanovski got a lot stronger, you know, no, matter, no, no matter your perspective. And I think the second thing I'd say is, dude, what is Volkanov? Like, well, here's one of the reasons why he's so talented. Like, the first fight against Max was tough, but he got it done. Max made adjustments, and they put him on his ass quite literally almost anyway in the first two rounds. And he had to kind of figure it out in the third one. And then look at the distance he put him in the third. Part of the beauty and the reality of his game, Volkanovsky, is he is capable of making quick reads. That's true, although Makachev made that very, very difficult. But, dude, his ability to grow between fights both strategically in terms of how – like. Dude, like it's not always obvious what adjustments you need to make. I don't know if folks know that or not. Sometimes it's very obvious, right? There can be very clear. If you get taken down a lot or something, then it's very obvious. But in these like granular matchups where it's like foot positioning and which feint to use and the timing and <coughs> which combination to use at what time, where it can be very specific and down to the wire. Um I, I believe in Volkanovsky's ability to adapt and grow over the course of a fight and over the course of a rivalry better than anyone else in the sport. Um, I think that if they matched up again, again, I still think Islam would be a very worthy adversary. There's no He would make adjustments too. But this adaptability of Volkanovsky's game to me is remarkable. I think you'd see a much better account of himself on the feet. I don't know if he necessarily fought like himself the way he normally does, a little bit of overzealousness, certainly early in the fight, although less so late. Um, And dropping Islam in the fifth like that, I think kind of tells you that there's another gear he can hit. So he didn't hit that gear in this contest. I do think he might be able to hit it a little bit more easily 
in the next one by virtue of that adaptability and that growth factor that he's got that is just extremely unusual even among elite fighters. I don't know that Islam has that exact same uh, quick read, quick adjustment, quick growth through that kind of ability. It's very rare. and that That would be the main reason I think that I would point to is that um, it's the same reason I said I thought Volkanovski was going to do reasonably well in the wrestling here when everyone was like, well, look at the Brian Ortega fight. Ortega was able to get Volkanovski down at certain times. And I'm like, dude, this that's not the guy that's going to show up next time. Like, that's very much not the guy that's going to show up next time. Sure enough. Guys, I got news for you. Now, if, if they wait until he's 36 or 37, well, that's a different ballgame. But if they made, if they made the rematch right away, it's not going to be the same Volkanovski. It's it's just 0% chance. Not going to happen. And he is, even among his championship peers, I think stands alone in his capacity to make those leaps technically and strategically between fights. It's just a very special ability that he has. And it fits into his style more generally. His style, which is typically, you know, scramble the brains. He couldn't quite do it against uh, Islam this last time, but... Um, you know, again, Islam is also, if not the best fighter in the sport, the second best. So it's a very, very difficult thing to do. But I think that would be my answer. He's got a really, really, really unique capacity for growth and development. Um, that is, even at age 33, is just unusual. Very unusual. Luke, why is no one talking about Islam cardio? He looked really drained in the fourth round. I got a great email from someone. They made a good point. They were like, I don't know about they were they were writing to me. They're like, I don't know about your jujitsu game and how you played it. You probably played a big man style, and uh, this person wrote that they didn't. And that's true. I do play a big man or I, I don't I don't roll anymore. But um back when I did, I played a big man style, right? A lot of pressure passing, a lot of top control, very Orlando Sanchez like, right? Um <coughs> He pointed out that a lot of times, and I, I never spent significant time working from the back. I mean, obviously some time, but not a lot. It just wasn't a big part of my game. Uh, he wrote that the body triangle, and this is true. I should have thought of it, but I didn't. He did. He wrote to me that the body triangle actually could have been the thing that wore Islam actually out in the fifth. That because he burned his legs out, that only not only made him tired, it made him less mobile and therefore more ready to be hit in the fifth. Um so actually, who's to say? I don't know if that's true, but that, that sounds like a decent theory to me, actually. So one thing I wanted to introduce you to an alternate perspective, because I thought he had gassed, yeah, in part from obviously what had happened in round four, but that he was kind of already get, fading after the third, used what he had to get into the fourth and kind of coasted from the back. And I've seen guys be able to, I mean, Aljamain Sterling can hold that for a long time, but it could also be true that a bigger guy doing that, holding it for as long as he did, could have worn him out. Something, something to have, follow up on and, and i would love to hear what islam would have to say about something like that it's a very it's a very interesting theory and a pretty smart one too all right yeah look at this one thoughts on the short notice fight between jalen turner and mateusz gamrot i'm so excited for this fight and it's a hardcore dream fight but i don't hear many people talking about it man i gotta tell you jalen turner's got some stones boy who is he supposed to fight? Dan Hooker, right? So I think he went from Dan Hooker to Mateusz Gamrot. I mean, that's not only a massive change in the style of opponent. Um, although Gamrot's getting on short notice. Yeah, that's a difference in skill level too, man. 
I mean, that is, you know, Jalen Turner is long and lanky, which can really work against you in grappling context. People always think it works great. It can work great if people are really good at wrestling with their legs and they are very initiating with their guard and they're using their guard all the time. But if, if they don't really have that kind of really aggressive leg entanglement style, then it can actually be, you know, especially if someone's got like good top control, that that lanky that lanky style can actually backfire big time because once they extend it all, it's, they create so much separation. Um, it's very hard to get it all back, and then you, there's so much space to create angles on them and then control their body because they're not big and fat. One of the funny things that people don't realize is it's actually much easier. Um, you like one of the things I found very funny was if I had to roll with dudes over 300 pounds, I found that I over time would never go to mount and certainly not go to knee on belly very often. Because I found that like their capacity to disrupt your balance from underneath like that, even though they're they're seemingly chubby and on, on their back, but they have so much mass and so much strength that they can. It's really it's it's just those are unstable positions. But like someone who's like lanky, who's tall, but then thin, man, you can absolutely drive their soul out of their body. Um, you know, with with like dominant top control jujitsu. Um, a lot of people do knee on belly from hip to hip. You can do it from hip to shoulder, almost like a seatbelt. You do that on a lanky guy if they're the same height as you or something like that, and they're a little bit thinner. You could fuck them up real good. So, um, yeah, that's a tough fight for Jalen Turner. <laughs> it's a tough fight for Mateusz Gamrock because Jalen Turner looks like he's an absolute animal on the feet. So, I mean, you guys kind of know how it's going to go, right? Either Gamrock's going to get KO'd on the feet somehow, like rushing in or whatever. Or uh, Jalen Turner is going to get ragdolled and maybe submitted. Um, I guess we'll have to see. Gamrot, you know, has not necessarily been a big submission threat recently at all. So that's maybe I have to take that one back. It'll be interesting to see how he deals with the wrestling of Gamrot. That's certainly it's to go from. I think was he supposed to fight Hooker? Let me just double check that. I think that's right. Let me see here. So the tarantula. Yes, yes, he was. And now it's going to be Gamrod at UFC 285. That's a hell of a fight. That's a hell of a fight. All right, let's see what we got. You said earlier this, earlier this month that if you are an 18-year-old fighting, you will round third, so to speak, at the age of 30. With that in mind, how do you think Raul Rosas Jr.'s career path will go moving forward in the UFC? Right? That's a general rule. General rule, you'll round 30. Uh, you'll round third at 30, right? You've seen a lot of these guys like Diego Fajeda, for example. They don't quite get it right until 32, 33, sometimes even 35, right? It takes them a little while to get going. That that that, that part's a little bit later, 35. But, you know, 30 is a good place. It's typically a prime. It's, you know, it's just a good spot for an athlete. It takes that long to get there. Some are going to get there earlier and then fade out early, earlier. Some are going to get there later and then fade out later, you know use your best judgment i think if you get into the sport earlier and you're fighting grown men at age 18 i think that the wear and tear on training and then potentially any devastating results that you incur will exit your i should say will expedite your exit from the sport pretty quickly i would say that um even if he goes on to become champion by virtue of starting at age 18 in the ufc really 17 on the contender series he's probably going to have an earlier exit than most um the very best fighters all get beat up over time, whether in the gym or in the octagon. They get it. He's going to get it. They all do. And I feel like when you start that early, it's unless you have, unless he, the only way to extend that really past that point would be 
if he ends up having a very defensively sound game. And so far, he's been controlling everyone, so that hasn't he's not he's not taking huge punishment or anything like that. But um, when you're aggressive like that and you start getting to the higher end, you're going to make mistakes uh, unless unless he just develops and then you know gets a little bit better at it. But I think you know I, I appreciate. Listen, what what what, what are they, if they if someone showed them me saying this, what would he say? He'd say like, listen, this guy, he was never a, a, a top level athlete. He doesn't know. He didn't fire like. You know, what does he know about my life? And that's true, but it's like I've seen the lives of a lot of really, really, really young guys um, confidently enter combat sports only to soon realize that everything that they had told themselves was true and that everything that the early stages of their life also told them they were true ended up being not true at all at later adult stages. It remains unclear how things are going to go for him, but if he thinks he's – I mean, I'll say this. You know, the idea that he's going to be – a champion inside of a year to me is ludicrous. Like I just don't like that's not going to happen. I would very much bet against that. And, uh, but you know, three years I think is a bit of a different bet. We'll see what Aaron Blanchfield can do. What is she? 21, 22, something like that. We'll see what she can do against Jessica Andrade. But if she beats Andrade, she's off to the races. So it's not like, I don't think Raul Rosas is good. He's good. It's not like, I don't think he's going to do well in the sport. He seems like he could do pretty well. But he's also got a certain sense of the world and his own inevitability that is strictly a function of, to me, or I should say not strictly, that appears to be, at least somewhat anyway, a function of the, of the invincibility of youthful ignorance. You just don't quite, you just don't quite know how badly the world can fuck you up yet. You, you find that out as an adult. I found that out as about about 23 years old. That was when I got my first real lesson in how life will kick your ass. Um, but um, everyone's got their own journey. If if I had a child and they were like a, a martial arts prodigy at, at 18, I still would counsel them around not fighting or at least um, fighting very infrequently and then working on all the other parts of their game and then worrying about that when they get into their early-ish 20s, like then make a move, then make a move, you know. But I, 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 I'm not his parent, so. All right, let's, uh, let's get into this one. Thoughts on Dan Hooker's accusations against Islam Makachev, particularly the clar- clarifying, you mean clarifying tweets, Jeff Nowitzki put up about fighters being able to take IVs. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to ask this one more time. In terms of what the public has been told factually about what has happened, what is the evidence that Islam either used an IV or more to that point, used an IV outside of the rules set by the UFC, the Ultimate Fighting Championship, or any other relevant authorities in Australia or otherwise? Like, what is the actual evidence that we know he used and did so in some kind of way that we can consider either legal or illegal, whatever. We don't have anything. We just have innuendo. So, like, what do I make of the accusations? I don't make much. I don't make much. Now, if we would like to work on assumption, which I don't like really doing in this particular case, but let's just piece it together. It appears that uh, there's a, certainly a suggestion that he used. We have no evidence of it whatsoever. But let's say he did use... Um, I mean, I, I just, I gotta be honest, I don't really give a shit. Like, no one knows any of these anti-doping rules. They, they Jeff Davitsky said in that Twitter thread that they informed all of the relevant parties and authorities. Well, I gotta tell you, they didn't seem to get the word on that. 
like whatever word that they distributed in 2019 that all of a sudden there's all of these ways that you can take IVs now. Um, that didn't get disseminated to the media that was quietly told to them why they made that change, under what reasoning they made that change. I have no clue. I don't know where it came from. It seems like maybe certain fighters knew, maybe certain ones didn't. Again, we don't really know because all of this just takes place in the dark and they don't tell anyone anything unless they feel like it or feel otherwise obligated. Um, so a, a, we don't even know exactly what happened B, we just discovered rules changed three years ago and no one told us. And, you know, it's like, <laughs> I just, I, I can't be bothered by it. Honestly, do I really think that, um, you know, he rehydrated in, in a way outside of what the rules were and that this can be proven in some kind of clear and demonstrable way yeah i'm pretty skeptical to be honest people in mma say a lot of things about other people in mma often defamatory or not true i think it's wise to be very skeptical or at least i should say not skeptical in this case but um because i like dan but yeah you have to be you have to wait for what the actual evidence is like i don't <laughs> dude if any fighter says anything media will just repeat it they just write articles about it like before any of this happened, they were still writing articles about it. It's like, why are we treating this like it's a story? It's not a story to me. It's a story. Okay. Finding out that you can use IVs is a story. Now that's a story. I'm like, oh, oh, all of a sudden we can, we can use IVs. I mean, I also feel like the real story here is like USADA's credibility. You guys know how I feel about that. But um, between this and the Connor situation and the loopholes, you know, it seems like this idea that there was no way to game the system. Boy, it turns out there's a lot of ways to game the system, huh? Um, again, I really want to know what the reasoning was in 2019, why they changed it according to what reasoning. And by the way, fighters had no say in that. just want to point that out. It seems like it's a perfectly good thing for fighters, but they had no say in it whatsoever. Just another thing I want to make clear to everyone about the about the fairness of the process. And again, like, oh, we told all of the relevant actors. Yeah, it doesn't look like the message got through. Mm-mm. Seems like a lot of people are surprised, including fighters. <laughs> so I, I'm not I'm not sure how well that message was delivered, um, candidly. So listen, I'll say this, right in the, in the interest of evidence, if the UFC or USADA or anyone else has evidence about this and they can act on it and and it can be shown that he broke the rules in some kind of way, he should be penalized. Islam in that circumstance. Under those conditions, Islam Makachev should be punished. Really, it's not it's not a difficult thing to kind of noodle through. It's pretty straightforward. If he broke rules, I mean you have to have a system of rules. You have to enforce them. Otherwise, what's the point? If he broke the rules, that's fine. But again, who the, people don't seem to know what the rules are. They change quietly without anyone telling them. How can anyone have faith in this system? And the way it's supposed to work when you just find out shit like this, you know, after the fact. It's just crazy to me. But, you know, they're the adults, right? Right? Isn't that, isn't that, what, isn't that what I was told? They're the adults in the room? Okay. Uh, let's see. What would be... Excuse me, what would your ideal setup be for future live events? Great question. Less people, more people, outside, more guests. So the head count was, we sold 400 plus tickets, actually. I think it was like four, what was the final number? I'm not sure. There was 400 donks there. So there was the entire 
middle and then the whole well they didn't go past the sides but they had the whole um, balcony as well and there were several rows deep on the balcony um so i was just blown away by that i couldn't believe that we had sold that many tickets we don't need that many people that was actually a lot of people and we had to start late because they were all at the bar getting booze um ahead of time so you know a couple hundred seems to me fine um but you know it wasn't say we wouldn't go bigger if we didn't have an opportunity to but uh here's the thing this is the only thing i'd say we had a great time pod live was amazing um you know they treated us real well and we just we, we enjoyed ourselves but I think what I would say is that like it was also their show and we were just playing at it. Um, if we had our own show where it was just us renting, you know, a venue and then selling tickets and then doing a variety show or something, we would probably be a little bit more risque, if I could be honest with you. Yeah, it probably would be a little bit more off the rails um, in ways that it wasn't necessarily here. Um, so... That's, uh, but I just, I, I, I'm not going to sit here and say I didn't have a great time or a great experience. I had a phenomenal time and a phenomenal experience. Okay. Let's see. Okay. Question. I know you were curious about how Dariush mat matches up with Makachev. After his fight with Volk, but personally, he writes, I am equally interested in how Islam may match up with Fazeev. He may not have the motor of Volk, but I believe he is a more dangerous on the feet and offers a level of physicality to his defensive wrestling that Volk can't. How do you see that fight going? And is there anything you think Fazeev may borrow from Volk? Now, good question. So let's look up something. I want to see. Let's see. So if we look up Fazeev's stats, how many times did Dos Anjos get him in the course of four plus rounds? He went 0 for 2 in the first, he went 0 for 2 in the second, 1 for 6 in the third, 1 for 6 in the fourth, amassing about not quite four minutes of control time, and then he got polished off in the fifth. He went 2 for 16 on takedowns. That's pretty good. So what are Fazeev's overall numbers? Here, I'll show them to you. Let's blow this up a little bit. So these are Fazeev's numbers. He is, so this is strikes landed per minute, 4.81. Striking accuracy, 50. Strikes absorbed per minute, 4.86. That's high. So he's got a, actually, he's got a negative differential. He actually, technically speaking, he absorbs more damage than he uh, lets out. So that's interesting. Um, striking defense is 50%. That's about standard. Takedown average is going to be very low because he's not really trying. Takedown accuracy is going to be low because he's not really trying. Takedown defense, 92%. That's 92 through the Mustafaya fight. White, Jukesi, Moicano, Green, Riddell, and now Dos Anjos. Obviously, it's going to stay intact because in all likelihood, Justin Gaethje is not going to take him down. Looking at the takedowns here, two against Dos Anjos, one against Riddell, and then that appears to be it uh, in terms of all the takedowns, right? Yeah. So that appears to be it. So he's got very good takedowns. I'm still going to add Islam's better than all those guys in terms of takedowns. Like he's got great numbers against those guys, and those are quality fighters, but they're not the wrestling and grappling threat that Islam is. Also, the other part about Islam that gives him, I mean, he did get dropped in the fifth. I understand that. But in general, like if we just look at his numbers, here I'll show you. Um, let's see. Let's see. Let's see. Let's see. Let's see. Let's see, you pull up old Islam's. Here we go. 
Let's look at Islam's numbers. Right, just so you don't think I'm making up shit. Okay, strikes landed per minute, 2.35, strikes absorbed, 1.27. So he's got a positive differential of over an integer. Overall lower numbers, but much better defense. Take the striking defense, 61%, that's high. Striking accuracy, 59%, that's high. Takedown average, 3.24. He's good for more than one around over time. Takedown accuracy, 62%, that's high. Takedown defense, 90%, that's high. Submission average, 1.1. So these are all pretty good numbers. By the way, what does he have? He has a 70-inch reach. And hold on, what does um I'll go back to that later. You get the idea. Fazeev, what does Fazeev have? Hold on. We have 70 inch reach for Makachev. You have a 71 for Fazeev, just a one inch reach advantage. Not a whole lot. Not a whole lot. Although Makachev's a little bit taller. Um yeah, I think that's a great fight. <clears throat> I think Fazeev is a real problem for anyone. I think Makachev has the skills to do it, but you're not careful against him. Yeah, you're gonna get you're gonna get worked over like a summer job. Um, but I, I do think that Mak Makachev doesn't go until he has to. He's got surprisingly good striking, and when he goes, he can be very. He's just very technical about like choosing when to go. I don't just mean timing on the instant. I mean, like, kind of where they are in the fight. He's got a real keen sense about that. And uh, it, I would favor him to win, but you're right to think that Fazeev has Fazeev has, has what it takes to be champion. Right? That's sort of the bottom line. He has what it takes. Whether he can do it against Makachev, we'll see. Someone's like, I know you enjoy your booze. I, I don't drink hardly at all anymore. I had two beers. The whole time I was in the UK, too. Um, let's see. Yeah, so I was asking about the, uh, the MMA on point video, same thing. Uh, here we go. What else did UNBC get up to in London? We had hardly any free time. We did shoot some stuff for the documentary. We went to Trafalgar Square. We walked to Big Ben. We... Um, we saw a changing of the guard. We went, past, we went past 10 Downing Street. We shot a bunch of stuff for the dock, but in general, we worked. Like, we worked. Um, that was not a sightseeing operation. Let's see. In a hypothetical scenario where we find a solution to stop fighters weight cutting, what would be the impact on the fights we see? Would the quality of them go up? Hard to think they'd go down. Would it lead to a benefit to a particular fighting style over the other? I would imagine, you know, it's hard to say exactly how pronounced the effects would be, but durability would probably improve. Um, I would think that, again, imagine you can get guys to not do that kind of a thing. They're just dieting down normally to, like, reasonable levels. I think you just, you yeah, you, you would get better. I mean, the, 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 the dividends would be cascading on top of one another, like in terms of mood and attention to detail and, you know, seriously cognitive wherewithal. And then obviously there's more fluid in, or I should say um, there's more cushioning in the brain essentially for when it flops around and gets hit. Like there would just, the, the dividends would be significant and like guys not gassing in fights and what that would mean in terms of like not rationing offense. 
I, I don't know that I don't know how revolutionary it would be for the quality. That, that, that's a little hard to say, but it would certainly be a positive and probably a noticeable one. The thing is, it'd just be more noticeable for I think certain guys. Because the reality is that people already can cut weight and in certain cases have great cardiovascular conditioning or at least pretty good. You would be helping that a little bit by not draining that for sure. But I don't I don't know that would be I don't know that it would be um game changing. Also, I'll just say this like it's not that I don't think that weight cutting is a problem. I do. It's not that I'm saying we figured it all out. I'm not. I'm not arguing that there's nothing left to do. There's always things to do to make sure that fighters are fighting as safely as possible. And we know we have we actually do have data on the effects of weight cutting. Right? Well, how do you know? We actually do know. We actually do know. Uh I I somewhat don't understand the obsession around finding ways to stop weight cutting. Candidly, I, I feel like weight cutting is here. It's not going to go away. It's never going to go away. It's it's at the end of the day, it's mostly this is a very very simplistic way of putting it, but it's just sweating. You're trying to regulate strategic sweating, basically. Um, it's more than that, obviously, but I don't. I think the best you can do is yes, continue to find ways. If we could find a way to stop it altogether, that'd be great too. But I, I just find that every time someone's like, oh, we're going to try and this brand new overhaul policy. Speaking of the one policy, they came up with all of their changes within two weeks. It's like you would need to like to really have a great program that you could put together to meaningfully reduce weight cutting. You, that would take months of planning and coordination and everything. I mean, that's not something you could put together in two weeks. It would take a while. So... um. I just feel like there's a lot of hand-wringing about weight cutting. And again, I'm not saying it's not a problem. There's a lot of problems with it, especially outside of the UFC and the regional scene, which is the vast majority of the MMA that takes place globally on an individual weekend. Um, but at the same time, I'm like, there's only so much you can do. Um, let's continue to innovate. But like this hand-wringing obsession about, oh my God, weight cutting. It's just ruining the sport. I can't even sleep at night. Because of weight cutting, I kind of see it as like grabbing the fence. You know, it's just the thing they're going to do. Either penalize it and move on. You know, that's it. I don't, I, it's more than that. I recognize it's not a, it's not nearly as simple as that, but I'm just trying to give you my idea about like my mental posture. I think that people put in a lot of, a lot of uh, intensity around the sanctity of the issue. I'd say that at the highest level, weight cutting is still a problem. It's not nearly as bad as it used to be. And in general, most days on most fights can reasonably be mitigated, um, especially by pulling athletes from contests in the event that you need to do that. Like, just do that. And can we stop not worrying about it? But can we, like, plenty of other things to focus on? I'm not saying that, that your question's bad. I'm just wondering that the, ment the posture of the sport more generally is, you know, pearl clutching. Oh my God, weight cutting is the worst thing in the world. And I'm like, it's bad. It's hard. It's really hard to solve. In fact, it may not be solvable in any kind of meaningful way within our lifetime. But why are we constantly um, giving it attention when I think there's other ones? It sounds like I'm saying we shouldn't give weight cutting attention. We should give it plenty of attention. I think the amount it gets exceeds the actual amount it needs to be meaningfully improved. That's the point I would make.
uh, untapped countries that you think could still do well to produce MMA champions going forward? We're talking about Mexico. Um, it's a great question. Spain seems very much uh, Europe in general. It's going to sound kind of crazy, but Spain's got a lot of things going on. I think they're going to produce more. France in MMA is just barely scratching the surface of what they're going to give. Dude, France is going to be a powerhouse. I think eventually it's going to take a little while, but they're going to be a fucking powerhouse. They they're a powerhouse athletically. They're a powerhouse when it comes to other martial arts, um, in both striking and judo. That's not it's not true just in one or the other. And uh, they've already got considerable talent. In Germany they haven't even done a fucking thing about how many Germans they could get to to really be um, great fighters, you know, with world class facilities. Because you could say, obviously, that'd be true for large swaths of Africa too. Like how much um, untapped potential is there? Like shit tons. Obviously, China's another big one that you kind of imagine could do well. But it's it's some of these. It's it's not some of these smaller countries. It's not. You know, like oh, Trinidad and Tobago. It's not. It's not really like that. It's like these major players that have like world class training facilities, world class, you name it, but have just not given priority to the sport for whatever reason. Germany is a bit of a special case because it's got a bit of a boxing kind of uh, institution holdover there. France, similar kind of thing. England certainly on the way, but I just feel like those some of those European countries, um, and then China too, they're going to start tearing shit up soon. All right. Certainly under no obligation to put a donation in, but if you did, let's get to whatever you've got. And we'll get to those now. Uh, does Hamzat Chemaev versus Robert Whitaker go exactly like Volk versus Islam? The similarities are eerie. Um, it could be similar. Yeah. Hamzat's going to, but the thing is, Hamzat's going to want to trade too. Uh, what you're right. Well, Islam did, but I don't. I don't think Islam traded quite as much as he wanted to. I think Hamzat is much more reckless in that way, but it could look very similar. Yes. Luke, awesome show in London. I appreciate you taking time afterwards to share a few words. Yeah. Thanks for coming, bro. What about this UK experience struck a chord with you? Yeah. I've been to the UK many times. Um, again, fourth or fifth, something like that. I'd been, I'd been, I'd been through a few times at least. Um, and I didn't get to do a bunch of sightseeing, although I've already done the sightseeing thing a million times. I've seen Buckingham Palace and Stonehenge and all that bullshit. I've, seen, or I've already done it. Um, candidly, I will tell you this. In all the previous times I've been to the UK, I found the British a little cold, <laughs> if I could be honest with you. I found them a little cold um, relative to the Irish, relative to a lot of other places I've been. And... Um, and obviously, everything was set up for this to go well because the people were paying tickets to see us, so... You know, they're naturally going to be inclined to be friendly. But I got to experience, I got to experience like, you know, like genuine British charm. And, uh, and, and, you know, I, it sounds a little crazy to say it, but like a little bit of community, to be honest with you. It was great. It was great. It was great. And obviously, London is a world class city and I love to travel. Now, I don't mean travel like, hey, let's get on a plane to go watch Jake Paul fight in Cleveland. I don't like traveling like that. Um, but traveling like, Hey, let's go to one of the greatest cities in the world and let's interact with people there and let's have fun. I mean, that was, that's one of the best days of my professional life. What do you think of the deleted Ali tweet? Oh, uh, Ali Abilzies, uh, regarding the two to three liters of fluid. Yeah, it doesn't look great. Doesn't look great. But again, I'm going to point this out. It's not to defend Ali or attack Ali or anything else. 
him tweeting that is not evidence of anything. It sounds like it's evidence. Oh, he's saying two to three liters. It's if you introduce that in court, they would be like, "Where's your evidence? This is not. This is just hearsay, or this is whatever the technical legal term is. This is just somebody saying things. This is actually not evidence of him doing this. This is just sort of like testimony." And even then, you know, Ali says all kinds of shit on Twitter, and sometimes it's true, sometimes it's not, sometimes it's provocative, sometimes it's not. Um, who knows what, why he said what he said, or or what was. Ali was not in Australia, so who was administering any alleged IV to Islam? My point being here is it is eyebrow-raising. Certainly, I recognize that. I don't dismiss that. But by itself, you still have to pull on several threads to get anywhere even approximating a clearer picture of what actually happened. So I'll say this, right? If Makachev did, in fact, in this scenario, use two to three liters of fluid, yeah, that's a problem. Now, that's a problem. Um, that that would be, and again, if he did that, he should be punished for it. No problem. No problem. Not going to argue otherwise. I'm just saying like, dude, in MMA, people will say anything about anyone else. Media will repeat it. And then people are like, well, what's the, what, what's your take on it? I'm like, I don't have a fucking take. Like, there's no story. The story is you started didn't tell anyone that, ever, that surprise, you can use IVs. <laughs> Who knew? Not me. Um, hi from Kali, Colombia. Been learning Spanish for three plus years. What's up, Nick? Can we hear you speak 30 seconds of Spanish? Fuck no. You think I'm gonna embarrass myself like that? Don't be shy. Viva MK in Colombia. I get no love from Colombia except for Nick, who's by the way, a gringo over there in Cali. Uh, not been to Cali. Yeah, listen, here's the thing with my Spanish, right? Um, I'm very self-conscious about it. I mean, I'll spit a word here or there where I can comfortably do it, but I'm pretty self-conscious about it. I only speak it with my family and then when I have to. I've tried it. I've told you guys stories where I've tried to use it here and the people just don't want it. And then it's funny, like when I go to Colombia and I try to speak English to them, they're like, just speak Spanish. You, you know, don't don't try to make it easy. I'm like, well, what, you know, which is it? Uh, and then also the ones here pretend like they can't understand me and then when I go to Colombia, I don't have any issues ever. Um, so, you know. I don't know what to tell you, except just come hang out. Listen, come to one of the shows and we can talk in Spanish. How about that? Someone says, thanks for the TikTok follow. Yeah, that's Othello. <laughs> I don't, I don't run it. Um, I don't run it. You know, I, I just, I'm, I'm 43, right? The uh, Someone says, so I'm going to try to pronounce his name correctly. It sounds like he's Brazilian. So is it Focan? Hubro? Negro? I hope I'm not saying some kind of weird thing. The chant, you're going to die, comes from a soccer culture. Worse is said in a soccer match. European fighters seem to understand that no issue. Thoughts? Um, yeah, it's a little different when you're fist fighting someone, though, right? And also, like, dude, the Brazilian fans are total nationalists. Like, they'll cheer for their guy hardcore, and then they'll just boo anyone else. It's like, you can't. You can't grant a little bit of something, something for somebody else, but no, they can't. So, you know, between their hostility and then it's a fist fight, which by the way, you could die in. And then they're chanting, you're going to die. You know, I understand. By the way, this idea that European fighters just get it. Uh, maybe I've not seen them as pleased. And also it's not like our job to get that. Like, oh, you should just accommodate yourself to a crowd of people telling you that you're going to die. Like, no. Thanks for the donation. Uh, what would it take for you to join 
to live talk with fans off screen online. Unrelated thoughts on Odie Osborne. His last flying knee made me upset. Uh, I know he's got a fight that just got booked or he's got coming up. I haven't seen. I couldn't tell you much about Odie. To talk with fans off screen. Uh, if I did channel memberships, that would do it. If I did channel memberships. If I did channel memberships, I would make, make room for that. You said Sage's last fight was a horrible idea from one, but also said he should easily beat his next opponent. Is that not unfair for his next opponent as it was unfair to do him in his last? Not quite, right? And the reason why is because Cosmo Alashantri was a decorated kickboxer and had a lot more... Uh, it was just a very dangerous opponent. And I think overall in the, in the, the full um, expanse of his experience, he had much more combat sports experience. He was certainly much older. Uh, and that was just setting Sage up for disaster. Now, in this particular case, I do think he'll win handily. And, and fights can be dangerous. I just don't buy that his opponent is in nearly as much danger as he was against Alessandre. I, I just, I don't, I, I simply do not see it that way. The only champions in the history of the UFC to defeat interim champs are Brock two times, Habib two times, GSP, and Ganu and Aljo. What does this say about the interim value considering the holder usually unifies? Well, it says that a lot of times the interim title has been just, you know, what, what we know it to be. It has been a uh, dubiously necessary, promotionally um, favored tool at various times, not necessarily given to the best fighter in that division, but maybe the one that was deserving of it or not. I think it says that. Also, the names you mentioned were, in many cases, very dominant names, certainly in their eras. Uh, but it still has value and it still means something. And let me to it. And also, like you know, there's times when the interim title just gets grandfathered into the regular title. Like, you know, there's been certain cases. Um, I think TJ Dillashaw, right? Isn't that how he became the official champion? Like, I'm, I'm trying to like remember. Now I can't even remember. I believe that's the case, right? I mean, obviously he beat uh, what's his face, but um, let me let me double check that. Let me double check that. Who just? Uh, and by the way, also like, you know, when they made Jose Aldo the champion, they're which they should have, you know, he kind of became that, you know, without really any challenge to the idea that because he had a WEC. But hold on here. TJ Dillashaw. Wiki. Am I misremembering how he got? Let's see. Uh, let's see. Okay. Dillashaw. Right. Okay. So he won the Bantamweight Championship against Henan Barrow, defended it against Joe Soto, defended it against Barrow again, lost it against Dominic Cruz, won it back against Garbrandt. I'm forgetting something here. One of these Bantamweight champions had a grandfathered in. Anyway, to answer the question, yeah, I mean, the guys who can unify are, are the real deal Holyfield, but the interim title still has value. Luke is... Thanks for the donation. Is Volk one of the most talented MMA fighters ever? Yes. His background was wrestling at a young age, but he stopped at 14. Today, he's not only one of the best strikers, as we saw, he's able to defend against a lifetime pound-for-pound -pound grappler. I don't know if Islam is a lifetime pound-for-pound -pound grappler. Well, I'm not sure what that means. But, um, yeah. Yeah, he's amazing. He's amazing. Um, he is one of the most talented fighters ever. And I think... You didn't get a great look of that in his last fight, but in general, like going to the Holloway fight, his striking and the brains and science behind it is like something I've never seen before, right? At least in that performance and some of the broader concepts that he plays with 
the, the package he puts it all together in is remarkable. He is truly one of the most talented fighters ever, yes. We often hear there's something to be said as a means to alter a narrative or prove a position. But if all there is is something to be said and not enough to actually change the debate, what use is there even saying it? Um, because people, because nuance matters, right? It's not a black and white world as much as we sometimes like to make it out to be. And it's important to pay respect to that nuance in part because it gives you some humility about what you know and what you don't in part because it also paints a broader picture about the differences between things um, and or the similarities. And it just gives you a more complete picture of whatever it is you're working with. Um, this world of very simple yes or no, up or down, left or right, black or white, that's a very um, comforting way to go through life. It's a very easy way to go through life, but it's not the right way. Um, the right way is to embrace nuance and to understand that these variables are basically in the course of our lives, day-to-day, event-to-event, kind of hard to parse. It's just difficult to know what's going to happen, what's what, and um, what separates things. So even when you think you have a clear sense of it, and you can say, well, there's something to be said for the opposite, that's not just rhetorical. It can be, of course, rhetorical, just masturbation, but it can also be a genuine acknowledgement of a, of a worldview that embraces nuance, that embraces challenge, that embraces complexity and often contradiction. Life is not just, life is just, and I have found, it's just not a very ordered thing. It can be in certain ways at times, but, um, and things have a way of coming back into your life over time. But the truth is that, like, it's an enormously difficult, complicated, beautiful uh, maelstrom of contributing factors to all the things you see and experience. And I think trying to have some account for them, even when some matter more than others, is really important. Close relative has all the symptoms of schizophrenia. How can I get them, get through to them and get them help when they've resisted help from others? Uh, and then he says, you know, some of my other stuff that I do. Um, Jesus, man, I don't know what anyone was, I don't, I don't know what the answer to that is. We, when my, we had an intervention with my mother once didn't work um so i don't know uh, i don't know if i ever told you guys that we had an intervention i was still in high school yeah i think it was my senior year my senior year of high school my mom was talking about ending her life to me and uh, in like very matter of fact ways too like looking back on it she knew exactly what she was going to do right um and so I called my sister and my brother, and they came down, and we tried to have an intervention with my mom. And it was it was a it was a good talk, in the sense that we you know we weren't yelling at each other, there was no anger or animosity, there was none of that, but it didn't result in anything. It didn't turn into anything. And then, of course, roughly four years later, she took her life. So um, right after I got out of, right after I got out of college is what she did. I was twenty. I just turned twenty three. Um, so it was like like I just entered the workforce or something. And, um, so I don't have a good answer for you, dude. I failed at it. I feel, I, I openly failed at it. I don't know. I, you, you would be wise to, I mean, listen, worst comes to worst. I think you can go, like, you can walk into a hospital and ask them what to do, what options you have. Um, you can call up a clinic and ask them, um, maybe they'll help you. Maybe they won't. I'm sure there's materials you can research online, but I'm afraid to tell you that, um, I tried this once in my own life and I failed. 
Do you think Islam can beat Usman or Colby? I don't. I don't know. Uh, again, Ali's tweet, I did. Do you think there's going to be an investigation? At this point, there should be, right? I can admit that. There should be. Like, there's enough suggestion to actually want to see what the facts are. Like, let's let's actually figure this out. Like, what are the facts? I mean, this is my point. We don't have shit. We have just a guy tweeted this and a guy said this. And then UFC releases all this information. Like, what does any of this mean? We don't really know. We need to figure that part out. So, like, should there be an investigation? Yeah, sure. Do you think Habib had better cardio than Islam? He seemed so much more aggressive with his wrestling. He might. He might. I don't think Islam's got bad cardio, but he might. Yeah. People have asked, like, like, what are some of the differences between Islam and Habib? And there's many. But one of them is there's a bit of a pace Habib used to put that Islam is a little bit more reserved. Uh, Islam a better striker. But Habib was in your face and, like, would wrestle through to assert dominance, like, continuously and often. Uh, Islam's not quite like that. He's not quite. He can do that at times, but like there was a certain like relentlessness with it. With with uh, whoops, excuse me, with uh, Habib. Any other MMA org being started slash competitive? I don't know what that means. I'm afraid. Sorry. I'm wanting to deadlift, but I'm afraid of injuring my back. You should not be. Read online that back injuries are more of improper load management than form, 100%. Although form is extremely important. And then you're right, yes, form is important. What advice can you give from experience? Guys, you should not be afraid of deadlifting. You should be afraid of deadlifting like a fucking dumbass. But you should not be afraid of deadlifting. You should not be afraid of deadlifting. Here's one thing you can do. If you're worried about, like, how am I going to put weight on the bar where I can still get it at enough height? Because if you put 25s on it, on the standard, like, cast iron or whatever, it drops the bar lower. You don't want to be doing, like, a deficit pull, and you should not be doing deficit pulls if you're learning how to deadlift. But if you actually want to learn how to deadlift, you have great options. The first is you don't even have to worry about the bar. You can get a trap bar. Now, rather than being this mixed grip or hook grip, this is this is hook grip, you could actually get, and you, and remember, if the bar is this way, your hands have to be here, 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 or like this, right? No one's going to grip like this. But the point I'm trying to make is, um, try to put my hands in the, the right place. You want one of these grips, right? One of these grips. And that means your hands are are both in front of you a little bit. I mean, they're, they're right underneath you, in the, but they're in front of your shins because they're gripping the bar. And they're in this position. If you go to a trap bar deadlift, you get to go to this position, hands by your side, which is a much easier way to to learn how to pull. Now that's not a real that's not the same it's, it's a different kind of pull, right? When you go to like a hex bar or when you go to like a that kind of a pull, um, it ends up being a little bit more quad dominant and obviously deadlift is about the posterior chain, but but that's a very safe way to do it where you can at least learn how to Get your shoulders and lats engaged, right? And 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 where everything's supposed to be, you can at least kind of feel it. And the other thing you can do is you can either buy them online or you can try a gym where you can get like um, I've got ten pound plates, but they're the same circumference as my forty fives. So that way I can load and they all bumper plates. So I bought bumper plates during the pandemic so that if I dropped it on the cement out front in my yard on my walkway, uh, it wouldn't. I, I didn't. I didn't want to drop cast iron on there. I want to drop 
things I want to drop uh, bumper plates. So I bought nothing but bumper plates during the pandemic, including 10 pound ones. So you can set up with a 10 and a 10 and a 45 or, you know, 10 and a 10 or however much the trap bar is. And you can use that to get the same height that you need. And then you can just start building up from there, working on your technique, making sure that, you know, they're, that they're, you don't have improper lumbar extension. Your shoulders are back and tight. Your head position is correct. You're wedging into the bar so that it's actually lifting before you even hit the ascent. Like all the things that you need to do, foot positioning and grip. Dude, deadlifting the correct way has been the number one thing I've ever done for back injuries. And I've torn discs multiple times in my back. I've had I've, I I tore my psoas muscle, which is a little bit different. Not quite just a back issue that connects a lot of other things. But I've had tons of issues. The number one thing ever for getting that and feeling better about my posture and everything else: deadlifting, deadlifting. And if you don't want to do that, you can dead you can do deadlifts with kettlebells. You can do offset deadlifts with kettlebells. One of my favorite kettlebell exercises is I'll get I'll get the big I'll get the the big one here. I've got a forty kilogram one, or what's thirty eight kilos, something like that. Uh, and I'll grab one side on a deadlift and then stand as an offset on one side. And so it works your whole core. It makes you balance so you don't lean over one way. So you have to hold it all straight, but you only got it on one side. There's all kinds of stuff you can do to just learn how to properly hinge get into position and work through the bar, but either pick one sumo or conventional or trap bar, whatever you want to do. And then just start working very light loads of techniques. See if you can get the 10 pound plates that are the same circumference as the, um, as the 45s, if you can get bumper plates and then get to work, refine your technique. If a sorcerer had definitive knowledge of the truth and forced you to bet on your net worth or whether or not islam used an iv which are you choosing i would choose Ooh, well he didn't deny it right so i'd probably say gun to my head i probably would imagine he used here's what i'm guessing happened i'm guessing how and this is just a guess i'm guessing that he used an iv and that it wasn't in any way illegal based on what he was told or by relevant authorities it didn't matter and that he just went ahead with it and or or they administered it to him there um, but that I don't that, do I like do I think he broke any rules or that the commission really cared? No. Thank you, Matthew. Appreciate it. Have you viewed Vau Vosh? I don't remember pronounced Vosh or Vosh. Uh, if you did, what are your thoughts on it? If you can't, can you review it? I thought it was intriguing. Does Volk have the greatest cardio in MMA history? He's he's up there. I don't know if he has the number one cardio, but he's got pretty great cardio. Uh, I did see again, I don't know how you pronounce it. It's Vosh Vosh. I guess he's a uh, left-wing YouTuber, and he liked a video that I did, uh, which I appreciated. But um, I can't say that I'm a regular. I saw he had a big debate with uh, Joyana. Um, what's her face? Um, Brie. What the Sanders is former press secretary. What the fuck's her name? Um, see. Oh, Brianna Joy Gray. Uh, I saw he had a debate with her. Uh, didn't seem to go too well, but um, yeah, I appreciated what he had to say. He was right when he said one thing. I do remember this. He said, this guy looks like he's done a lot of work on himself. Yeah, man. Yeah, man. I've had to. Are you still in touch with the current phase of the MCU? Not really. Most critics have already given Ant-Man the Wasp bad reviews. Did you enjoy Black Panther 2? I did. I watched it finally. 
thoughts on these past MCU movies? Um, I'm not going to see Ant-Man and the Nubber. I did see Black uh, Panther 2. I really liked it, but I will say this, a little long. And I'll say this too, like it seemed like they had the impossible task of like, okay, how do we write a Black Panther movie without the Black Panther? And they went to painstaking details to try and lift up the sister into this greater role. And I thought that they mostly did a good job with it. But the one thing I'll say, and they had cool action. I mean, it's a great movie. Like I enjoyed it. My major problem with it was, is like at some point, these action movies that are superhero based, you know, not so much the latest Batman with uh, Robert Pattinson, but you know, the MCU anyway, certainly they got to be a little bit fun. And I know it's like a really unfair thing to say because you're dealing with the death of the guy who was the star of the whole thing. Like, what do you want? You want, you want this, the, the story after that to be fun. And, of course, that's a very unfair thing to ask of them. I I, I, I recognize that. But I came out of there being like, whew, that was, that was good, but that was heavy, man. It was really heavy. And then they set up this future conflict and everything else. Like, it was just, there was just a lot that, that happened there. I was cool to see uh, What's-His-Face again, um, Killmonger. I loved. I, I I really thought that they killed him off too soon as a character. I just was like, please bring him back. Because like, can you imagine a world where they didn't kill him off in whatever, and they could write him into Black Panther in this role? Oh my God, that would have been amazing. You know what I mean? So I thought that they did the best that they could to to find a new story that was really just very different than anything they did with T'Challa. And, um, or, you know, Chadwick Boseman, but I mean, the, the character T'Challa. And um, they did a good job. It just felt, God, I felt like I had gone to like a funeral or something, you know? Have you mentioned, uh, you mentioned Brazilians are nationalists, but they cheered Ronda and booed Betch. Question is, what non Brazilian fighter do you think is closest to getting the Brazilian crowd behind him? I got to go back and watch that. That might be a little bit true. Yeah, that's probably. I have to go back and double check that. But they are nationalists, dude. Like, I mean, there that might be an exception that proves the rule. You can't really make the argument that they're, you know, about as fair as other people are in giving the non-native folks uh, a, a, a good shot. And by the way, it's not like Americans are a whole lot better when chatting USA and shit. But I would say that American fans are often like fans of other non-American fighters. In fact, pretty routinely, um, you know, who might break through? I don't know. Uh, if Ronda broke through, then it was probably a function of celebrity and some other things as well. Somebody along those lines, maybe. But, you know, sorry. They, I mean, if you're a Brazilian MMA fan, you just need to accept that, like, y'all are nationalists and um, more so than any other fan base in the sport. Could MMA ever get to professionalism that other sports enjoy, i.e. fighters, players, being more accepting of criticism, less scummy political practices. Yeah, that can happen pretty quickly. Uh, the the part about fighters and the criticism, I don't know how easily that could change um, because what you're dealing with here is guys who fist fight in a cage for a living who live and die in their own minds. Like I've gotten to the point now where like I have a better sense of what will piss people off and what won't. Um, and I try to steer around that as best I can. I really do. Like You've got to make an effort to just not kill these guys when you know they're already hurting. But I'm also just, I don't care anymore um, on another level. Like, you can do, ask anyone who's worked in MMA media, you can spend 
years and I've seen it blowing somebody up like this guy's the next big thing and then when they get there this guy's amazing giving him great reviews giving him great articles I mean the whole shit and then the first time you're like I didn't think I was a great performance or I really disagree with what he did and I don't no, or you know, I've even seen like I don't think he's going to win, and they'll just cut you off. They'll vote you off the island. Like you can't. For me, I can't operate in a space like that. Not very effectively. Um, you need to be humane. You must be humane towards them, but you don't really have to be deferential. Like I'm not. I'm not looking to be the guy. I I had a. I met Arnold Allen in London. What a great guy. I met uh, Paul Craig. Just a, fu- I mean, you guys are gonna love the Paul Craig RSD. Aha, trust me, you're gonna love it. So, I mean, these are great guys, and they seem smart and level-headed. MVP, MVP was great too. Love chatting with MVP. These are all great guys, but I don't imagine that we're buddies. We're professional acquaintances, and as nice as it was meeting them, if they do something that requires me to uh, have a more critical perspective, and they don't want to like know me anymore then okay that's a trait that's like people are like about the john jones thing like i don't i don't need to ever talk to him again i'm good i'm good i've never reached out for an interview Not in part because i knew it was never possible but i've never even tried some bullshit where like i'm gonna beat down the door and i'm gonna i'm gonna prove that i can i don't care i don't give a fuck like you know it doesn't I want to talk to the guys who want to talk and if they don't want to talk, they don't have to, and they don't have to like me. I don't have to like them. Like it's, we're all adults here. Life is short. I'm going to say humanely, I'm going to say what I want to say. And if they like it, great. If they don't, that's great too. I'm not interested. I'm not saying things for their approval. I don't wait on it. Right. Uh, I think Volk would beat Habib. A lot of people couldn't figure out their style and fell into their traps, but Volk is such a good game planner, and Habib hasn't got the striking pedigree like Islam. True, true. The question you have to ask yourself is, and your your, your guess is as good as mine, the question you have to ask yourself is, um, would Habib be a little bit more dogged and perhaps dominant with the wrestling? Possible. It, hard to know. Hard to know. So he, he would have a bit of a hard-nosed aspect of that in ways that Islam didn't. What would that look like in real terms? Could be Volk beating him. Sure, sure could. Uh, I'm so happy to see it. You know, again, there still comes back to this idea that there should be an MMA Hall of Fame and there isn't one. And the criticisms of the UFC's Hall of Fame, such as it exists relative to, such as they exist uh, exist around the idea like, you know, is there favoritism around it? I think that those concerns are still relevant in most ways. But any MMA Hall of Fame is going to have, any good one is going to have Jens Pulver in it and Jens Pulver's in it. And um, each time, I'm really happy about it. I'm happy for Jens. I've said this before. Jens was a guy that when he was in WEC, you know, he beat Cub Swanson. That was great. But he lended his credibility to the lighter weight guys so he could fight um, Uriah Faber. And that did a big thing. And you got to remember, Uriah Faber was chasing a fight at the time with Norafumi Yamamoto. And they could never make it happen. It was a big fight that they wanted to do. They just never found a way to get it done. And Jens Pulver, I'm not going to say, was as big as what Norfumi Yamamoto would have been at that time. But when he finally made his way down there, this... Dude, I remember the versus promos. There's a versus promo of Jens Pulver doing pull-ups, and he's got tennis balls in his hand, and he's resting them on the 
on the bar to create instability. And he's then still doing pull-ups and he's talking about how he's trained in ways that no one knows. And he's been here since the beginning. Dude, it was fucking awesome. He lent all of that to the next level, the next, the next wave of fighters. Jens didn't just make MMA better while he was there. While he was there and for the next generation, he helped MMA fans learn how to appreciate lighter weight fighting massively significant everybody wants to look at someone's record and be like who did you beat who did you lose to what does this tell us about what you did but that doesn't always tell you what they did i think is or excuse me i think um habib has been a transcendental figure in terms of capturing the i, I mean this like the islamic world has a, a a massive interest in habib and i've seen it on all kinds of different people in my orbit who aren't mma fans who talk about him because they're all Muslims. Like, it's a real thing that has worked out for him in that way. Good for him. Like, nothing wrong with that. Um, and, like, what will that, how will we feel those reverberations over time as the time goes on in the sport? Like, we'll have to ask that question. But, like, Habib could have done that. And there's other ways to contribute to the sport, obviously. But one of the things that Jens did was he trained people how to like lighter weight fighting. And he had a great nickname, Lil Evil. And he had a fucking huge punch. Like he, And he had a great look. And he came from the best team at the time. And then when all that was ending, he still gave it to the next generation. Dude, this guy has to be in the Hall of Fame. Now, there was many other people who also contributed to, you know, getting fans to like lighter weight fighting. But who was a key contributor in that era and the subsequent one? It was Jens Pulver. It was Jens Pulver. So... He had great wins. Yes, of course he did. He had some tough losses, no doubt about it. But he was a major, major, major contributor to mixed martial arts in ways I'll never be. And uh, I just really appreciate him. And I really appreciate that the UFC acknowledged that. And then Vito. Thank you, Vito. All right, man. That's it for me today. This will be up on podcast tonight. Um, yeah. Thank you guys so much for watching. I appreciate it. Let's see. Oh, I don't want to forget. I don't want to forget. Hey, go check out my Yair Rodriguez and Josh Emmett breakdown. I think it's pretty good. See what you guys think. I put some time into it, although the shot looks kind of weird. Uh, but neither here nor there. The video is full of great information, I really believe. So I hope you go check that out. Thank you if you do. And if you liked it, send it to somebody else that you know. I know it's out late, but I'm doing my best. Okay? All right. Thank you, guys. We appreciate you. Thanks to Othello. And until next time, stay frosty, y'all. Bump, bada, bump, 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 bump.